Our sermon text for this morning comes from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the word of the Lord. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn to uh, Titus, Titus chapter 2. While you're doing that, I'll go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we have eyes that are reluctant to look to you. We pray that you would, as we had just sung, God, we pray that you would turn our eyes to you through your word as you have ministered to your saints throughout the the centuries, God. We ask that you would continue to do that, that you would draw our hearts into yourself. Our hearts are zealous, oftentimes to run away from you. We pray that you would Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast love within us. I pray this in your Son's name. Amen. A pencil to the eye, fingernails on the chalkboard, or a bath. In acid. These are little word pictures to describe my enjoyment watching girl movies, especially those of the, the Hallmark ilk. And, and, but the, the, the plot line is quite simple, right? You have a, a rugged guy. Ideally, he's a widower, so he can't really be blamed for all of his you know, ruggedness. And th- things aren't going well on the farm. And um, But he goes into town, the general store. I'm just making this up. It's really that easy. And you, you go... <laughs> You go to the to the town, to the general store, and uh, there's the girl who hasn't quite flourished, probably works in the library or the orphanage outside of town, right? And she drops her sack of flour that's wrapped in the paper, the brown paper with the twine around it, right? You know, And then he, the widower, who's rugged, nobody he hasn't talked to anybody in years, and he picks it up, and then she grabs it and just, uh, like, their, their hands just kind of touch together, and, you know, and it wasn't anything illicit or even sought for it, but that's all it took. And then, before you know it, they're sitting together at the at the fundraiser fundraiser for the Moravian missionaries, right? And then love begins to flourish and to grow 
you can, you can, you too can write these movies. And, um, and so then this man, you know, crazy Uncle Jimmy is no longer just crazy Uncle Jimmy, he's Uncle Jim. And, uh, and, and these rough edges begin to get smoothed out. And then they're no longer smooth, but now he begins softening as well. And this girl who had never really come into her own is now flourishing and finding out what it is to live real life. Now, the plot lines are predictable, the characters are flat, two-dimensional, usually at best. But the under what actually makes them good so far as they can be, what makes them good is, is the bedrock of truth upon which they're built. And that is grace and love transform you. They change you. So you see this in, in a multitude of stories. Beauty and the Beast, uh, Brothers Grimm, if you've read that. Many of the stories uh, there have tales of love transforming you. Uh, love letters between uh, Abigail and John Adams. You can see her love for him is eliciting him to become a better man. You probably see that within your own marriages as well. You see that the grace of God, as we will see in our text. It has this same premise upon which these other truths are built. And that the grace of God comes and it will transform you. The grace of God will come and it will save you, but it doesn't just leave you there. The grace of God will come and it will actually transform you as well. So we like to think of the grace of God as just Merely this undeserved love from God, which which is true. But it's also, it's much more than that. It's much more than the forgiveness of sins. It's also this transformation, as, as we heard someone else preaching earlier this week. It's not just a pardon of sin, but it's the power as well that comes to us. So how are we going to see this? All right. So in verse 11, you're going to see that the grace of God, first it comes and it brings salvation. Verse 11. Verse 12, you're going to see that the grace of God is training us as beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. It trains us to renounce and then also to live. And then in verse 13, it brings us to be waiting for our hope. So this grace of God will come. It will save us and will transform us. It will train us up. While we wait for our blessed hope. So what's kind of happening here in Titus? Let's go ahead and step back a little bit and see what's, why we actually have this book. What do you do when there's only one God? Well, the implicit thing then, if there's only one God, then all of creation must be worshiping them. There's another name under heaven and earth by which men and women must be saved. Than Christ. So you see, the early church, they're not a sedentary body of people. They move. They don't, they don't just sit, they send. And so the story of this early Christianity is a story of men and women who are faithful to God and moved by God, oftentimes through waves of persecution to spread the gospel. That all women, that all men might believe in this one God. So, through this persecution, Paul, who's written this letter, he's in Jerusalem, stays in Caesarea, 
along the Mediterranean there. And he, because of political, you know, reasons, he stays there for two years. And he goes off to Rome. And he stops in Crete. Acts 27, he stops in Crete for a little bit on his way to Rome. Two years in Rome, in prison. And then the book of Acts ends. So what you kind of have to do then is oftentimes read the end of his other letters and kind of piece together what happens. So, perhaps, maybe, what's happening here is that Paul is leaving Rome after these two years. He has Titus with him who's been faithful to him like a beloved son. They go back to Crete and you see here, and then in the end of Titus, his desire is to winter in Nicopolis as well. So they go to Crete. He leaves Titus there. They do some work. He leaves Titus there, then goes back up to Nicopolis to winter there before he goes possibly off to Spain for his fourth missionary journey as well. Before heading back to Rome and is martyred. So when Paul leaves Titus in Crete, What's, what's Crete is quite, it's this island in the Mediterranean. And so in America here, what we have is a, a the collective way we think, the way that we think is, is oftentimes it's shaped by the Revolutionary War. We fight for freedom. First and second Great Awakening. This is how we're different than Canada. They, had, they didn't have the Great Awakenings. And our Civil War. It shapes the way we collectively think, even now, centuries later. It shapes the way we collectively think as a people. Okay, so you're on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean that has been a safe haven for pirates for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Do you see how this could shape the way that you think? So when Paul, when he tells them that the, the great the philosopher, their own people, Epimenides, uh, he says that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. He meant it. Even even today, I was looking up on Crete. Even today, every so often, they they celebrate by gun clapping, you know, shooting off. And every kind of several years, someone will die just by these rounds coming back to Earth. Even now, last Easter, how did many of them celebrate? Gun clapping, shooting off rounds into the air is a way they celebrate the risen of our Savior being risen from the grave. That's how they worship. So, in spite of all of this, though, Paul is able to tell Titus, remind them, beginning of chapter 2 now here in Titus, older men act in this way. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Not just older men, but older women as well. Likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Younger women, you're to love your husbands and your children. Younger men, how are we supposed to, how are you supposed to act? Well, likewise, the younger men should be self-controlled. So how is it? That Paul is able to take these rancorous, fierce brutes, lazy gluttons, 
and tell them you should live in this way and this way and this way. That you should be sober-minded. That you should be dignified. That you should be reverent in your behavior. That you should love your husbands and your children. That you should be young men. That you should be self-controlled. How is he able to address every station of life, no matter where you are? How can he say you are supposed to live in this way? Enter our text. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Bringing salvation for all people. He's not just telling them, do this, and then that's the end of it. He's saying, do this because the grace of God has appeared. And notice the entrance of the grace of of God. You see this word appearing, or its 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 root in the Greek, uh, several times here. Uh, chapter one, verse three. But at the proper time, this this uh, was manifest. This hope of eternal life it was manifest in the proper time, through the preaching of the word. We see here in our our text here, verse eleven, that the grace of God has appeared. Also, go down just two more verses. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And then finally, also it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. So you see this this grace appearing and appearing and appearing again throughout this Text and it, what it, what it's not is that it's not this uh, apocalypto this this revealing like the revelation. So when you, when you see that, it's oftentimes like they like pulling a a, um, uh, a like a sheet off a, a statue or something like that, and you're revealing what's there. What's happening here is that it's appearing. It's it's this light that is coming. And it's not a candle just in, stuck in darkness and it's the self-illuminating light. It's not that. But it's light that is coming. That's oftentimes used in the context of the sun shining. So it's not a, a self-contained illuminating light like a candle. But rather it's light coming down like sun on the darkened world. It, 19th century Anglican Charles Ellicott said this, It's coming down in a darkened world, so has the grace of God. As this light is coming down, so has the grace of God arisen with salvation in its beams. This is what was longed for. I hope you know. Go to Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Or even in Malachi chapter 4 verse 2, But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, the son of righteousness, this grace, this light, shining down in darkness, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. So these songs of prophecy became a fact of history when the grace of God has appeared. 
And it's shining down. And you see this throughout the New Testament, that the grace of God is coming down, and it's shining, and it's bringing salvation to his people. In John chapter 1, you see that from his fullness, the fullness of God in Christ, we have all received grace upon grace, in which he then elicits them to believe. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So this grace through Christ brings this salvation. Or even in Romans chapter 3, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified, how? By His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So grace confers or brings this um, status of salvation upon the people of God. Or even in, in Romans chapter 5, then, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. How are you going to stand before God? By the grace of God. And most obviously in, in Ephesians chapter 2, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It is not the result of works, so that no one may boast. So this light coming into the darkness, this grace of God is coming in and saving His people. Though we live in darkness and may have the embers of Sodom still glowing within our own hearts. The grace of God comes and saves us. Some of us, you, are still walking in this darkness. And the grace of God is all around you. You see it. I mean, you're here. You hear people singing about the grace of God. And the grace of God is all around you. But it has yet to come into your heart. Don't hesitate any longer. Why would you? Don't hesitate any longer, but pray that this grace of God would not just shine around you, but would shine with you in your own heart and bring salvation to your soul. For the grace of God has appeared to all people. And you'll be tempted to think that, oh, well, you don't know my past. I'm far too guilty or I'm too impure or I'm too distant from God. But the grace of God will come and outrun you and draw you and bring you to God. Where he will save you and keep you as his own. Alright, so what have we seen so far? Paul's left prison, Rome from the end of Acts. And then he goes to Crete with Titus, ministers for a while. Leaves Titus there to do these several things, appoint elders among various other things. And then he goes and winters in Nicopolis. And while Titus there, Titus has this task of taking these people who have, their, their culture is shaped not by, you know, the movements of God, but by pirates and murder and all the piratey things that they do, right? It shapes their culture and who they are. But he's given this daunting task to tell them, no, you live in this way. Your culture and your heritage, everything around you, the world around you, the same story for us. The world around you is eliciting you to live in such a way, but the grace of God, Titus is able to tell them and teach them, you guys live in such a way because the grace of God has appeared and it is bringing salvation. 
to all people. But we'll see that this so this grace, it doesn't just bring salvation. Absolutely it does, but there's more to it. So let's go back to the text. We'll start here in verse 11 again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, in godly lives in the present age. And to be honest, it's, it's easy for us to view grace in such a way that it, okay, the grace of God will come, it'll, it'll bring salvation, and I don't have to wrestle with my sin anymore. It's done, it's gone. As far as it is from the east and the west, that is my sin. I don't even need to wrestle with it whatsoever. But you'll see that the grace of God doesn't alleviate the struggle that we have with sin, but it carries us through it grace of God carries us through this struggle with sin. And here you, you'll see the two sides of wickedness. The, the grace of God here it comes and it's training us. You, okay, so you see it's training us to renounce and then also to live. It's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. With this ungodliness, it's like a, a turning away from God. We're going to renounce that. We, our desire to turn away from God, that's one side of the coin of wickedness. The other side is this worldly passion. It's not so much an eye towards God and turning away him from Him, but a desire for the things of the world. It draws you in the same direction, whether you flee from God or go towards the world. But it, we're training us. The grace of God is training us to renounce all of that, to put that aside. But be encouraged. The grace of God not only trains us to renounce, it only it also trains us then to live as well. The Christian life it's hard, right? You you have these same sins you've been wrestling with for years and years and years. And they pop themselves up in the most inopportune times, right? You you're doing well, you have a little bit of self control. Until, you know, kid seven comes along and then, and then it's nearly impossible to, to hold this self-control because there's always something going on and, and you want to push it aside. But you know, the grace of God will come and it will carry through this same grace of God that is shining upon you and bringing salvation will carry you through all of this and all of your struggles. It will train you to live, training you to live a self-controlled, upright and godly life. So the grace of God, again, is more than a pardoning of sin, but it is a power to live as well. So we think of the grace of God. We also we think of it in this way. Um, it's, it's like a sketch on the canvas. And the artist isn't quite done with his painting, but he has this beautiful sketch there. Is it accurate? Yeah. Does it show the... The, the you know the the lady holding flowers of the girl in the garden sure it, it shows that and is it accurate absolutely but it's incomplete that's oftentimes our view of the grace of God we have a little sketch but no it's it's not just saving us but it's a transforming us as well there's colors to add and vibrancy to add and and shades and and depth to add to as well to this 
beautiful picture that God is creating in your heart and in your soul. So the grace of God doesn't just come and save you and then leave you then. It works out your salvation in your daily life. You see this in another text, two other texts here. Second Corinthians chapter 4. For it is by, uh, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends more and more, people may it increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day. So, okay, so Paul, how is it that your outer self is being wasting away, but your newer, your inner self is being renewed day by day by day? What carries you along from day to day when you want to give up, when you want to check out for a couple of years, that happens. You want to give in to your sin or give in to your bitterness. What is carrying you along then at that time? The grace of God. The grace of God. This amazing grace of God is carrying you along through all of that. He also writes to the church in Corinth, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it is His grace towards me that was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. So it is the grace of God that is carrying Paul along. What is bringing you to work for the kingdom of God? What is bringing you to crucify your own sin? That's the grace of God. Carrying you along, bringing you to work harder and harder. So to summarize it all here, the grace of God is coming to bring salvation and to train you to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We don't have to draw this from the well of our own strength. But Christ is coming. And you see, it's this Christ who has given everything to us. And it is the grace of God that then allows us to give everything back to him. That's the beautiful thing. Because you can't do it yourself. And if you've tried, you're weary and broken. So we see that the grace of God... It's not only a pardon for our sins, but an empowering for our lives to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Okay, so then, what's the posture of our hearts when we're living this out by the grace of God? When we're living this out in the present age, what's then is the posture of our hearts throughout of this, throughout all of this? Well, it's not that of conquering, but rather of waiting. Let's go back here to the text. Okay, so the grace of God appears, it brings salvation, it's training us to renounce and uh, also to, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about this, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. That he would hold you close to him. 
it's done by grace. Who are zealous for good works. It's as if Paul knew your thoughts. He tells you, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Grace can carry you through that. But you're going, Paul, don't you know that I stumble every week, every day, every hour? I see the standard that is before me. But when I see that, I see where I'm at. And it seems as though this gap cannot be conquered. I'm not self-controlled. I try to control other people. I can't control myself. I don't live an upright life. I stoop down to sin all the time. And I'm not godly. If you knew my heart and my desires, you wouldn't think that of me. And it's as if Paul is telling you, I know. Little child, just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. Don't give in. The grace of God is more than enough. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. For those who have seen the appearing of the grace of God, this light shining down, they will also see the appearing of the glory of God through Christ. For our blessed hope... We're waiting for this. We've seen the grace of God and now we will see the appearing of the glory of God. So, look in the text here. Did you notice what our hope is? What's our hope? That Christ will come. That He will come and fully redeem and restore and renew His people. So what what a relief and what a joy this brings into your life. No, the world, it can be fun, it can be enjoyable, but you know it can't sustain you. So just as the old people, people in the Old Testament had the law as a tutor. Joel taught me that this week. Just as the people in the Old Testament had a law as a tutor to hold them, sustain them, bring them to the time of Christ. So now we have grace holding us, sustaining us. It can't bring salvation. The law can't bring salvation. But it's holding us and sustaining us until Christ comes. So though we are renewed, though we are saved, though we, we should be living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, the posture of our heart is that we're waiting because we know we still have this flesh and sin. And we want complete restoration. We want to be a people of God that are held close to Him, to be known that we might be His own possession. So it's, look here in verse 14. It's as if Paul is, is he's writing... You know, a great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it says so he can't help himself. This, this affection, that this love for Christ that he has, it just pours out of him. Oh, the glory of God and our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Whoa, wait, hold on. I, I, let me tell you about this. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. 
here's the foundational work that makes grace even an option. I hope you see that. How is it that grace is able to come and save us and train us to live godly lives? How is this an option? Well, it's because Christ has come to redeem us and to purify us. So it's because Christ has come to redeem us and to purify us that grace will come and save us and train us to live godly lives in which Titus is then able to tell them, older men, older women, younger men, younger women, live such lives. Christ is the foundation of it all, don't you see? He's the bedrock upon which it is is all built. All of your affections, let him come down to Christ and be built there. Everything that you do, let it be built upon Christ. Who he is and what he does. That he has come to redeem you and to purify you. Build it all upon Christ. So what do we do then? What do we do? It should be... It, It should be really obvious. What do we do? Well, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Okay. How? That's the key. How do we do it? Brothers and sisters, don't overlook the ordinary means of grace in your life. Grace will appear will appear through prayer, reading the word, coming to church, listening to preaching. Justin Adam are phenomenal preachers. Listening to preaching. Taking part in communion and baptism as well. So in your prayer, go fall on your knees and cry out to God. There is a, your Father in heaven who loves you and will care for you. Daily, several times during the day, read the word to sustain you. There's a lamp into your feet and a light into your path that will bring you to God. Participate in church. You're here. This is a grace of God working in you and through you. This is a means of grace. It might seem ordinary, but that's the point. Is that God then gets all of the glory. You're telling me that people throughout hundreds of years, by and large, everyone, billions of people that will be gathered together will be saved by coming to church and hearing some not very good preacher. Really? Yeah, God's that awesome. And that he will receive then all of the glory. So these are the things that are, then are meant to, to sustain your spiritual life then. Prayer. Do it. Rely on God. Come to Him. Read His Word. We're going to have communion. Partake in that as a means of grace to sustain your salvation and to give you further faith in, in the promises and the trust of God. It's, it's like you're gardening. And when you, when you garden, you want this plant to grow. And how do you get it to grow? You cultivate the soil. You nurture it. 
that's what you're doing through prayer, reading the word. We want to have self-control. And what we want to do is just like, as if it was a plant, just pull it up and force it to grow. Like, oh, I want self-control. Well, no, you, you cultivate the soil. You let it grow. You nurture it. And God will get the growth. God will give the growth. And then God will get all the glory as well. So don't overlook these. If you want to be, be of self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, what do you do? Read your Bible. Pray. Come to church. These ordinary means of grace that God has used throughout centuries to sustain His people. Not entertain them, but to sustain His people and carry them along until they come and see Him face to face and then are sustained by Him throughout eternity. With this God, this very God that will sustain you throughout eternity is sustaining you now. And how is He doing it? By these ordinary means of grace. So finally, brothers and sisters, the grace of God has appeared. It is bringing salvation to all people. So God not only saves us, but He transforms us. It's it's not just a pardon for our sin, this grace, but it's a power as well to bring you to live in such a way that you reflect the character and love of God. So brothers and sisters, walk in this grace. As we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, who has come to redeem us and to purify us and to hold us so close as though as we are a people. Not in some distant land, but God, a a people for your own possession. We pray that you would give us soft hearts, which the grace of God will grow and take root, God. That you would save us from our sins. And that you would empower us to reflect and to grow. God, we pray that you would nourish us. Through, pre, um, through prayer, through reading the word, through coming to church, God. We pray all this for your glory and in the name of your Son. Amen.